0: chapter 19, and we got up to verse 9 last week. So we're going to finish chapter 19, and there's an awesome comparison between the new covenant and the old covenant. You can read these verses real quick, and you just go, oh yeah, they had to do these things to get ready to hear from the Lord. But there's an amazing thing that happens, and in the book of Hebrews, there's a, a quite a bit of uh, extra commentary, extra information about what happens here. It's actually a really, really important event. Not just that it's so awesome, but it symbolizes a lot too. So we want to try and understand what it symbolizes. So we'll jump into that. I just pray, Lord, thank you for another opportunity to dig into your word. Lord, it's just so precious, your promises, and Lord, all these physical pictures that point to a spiritual truth. And we just pray you help us to learn the spiritual truth that's behind all these physical pictures, Lord. All these. Shadows, as you call them, and help us to understand their reality. In Jesus' name, amen. So they're at Mount Sinai, and who's ever been in an earthquake? Yeah? Ever been shaken around quite badly? Who's ever been in a really, really bad storm where the thunder's been like, bang, bang, bang? You get so loud that it shakes you. And then the lightning is just really bright. Who's ever been in a bushfire where the heat is just radiating and the smoke is just building up in the, in the sky? Who's ever been uh, hearing something so loud and it just gets louder and louder and you just have to block your ears because it's getting so loud but it's not coming from earth, it's coming from heaven? No one. <laughs> but imagine all those things happening at the same time. The ground shaking, the lightning and thunder, the cloud coming down, the fire on the mountain, the trumpet sounding, and finally, on top of all that, you've got the voice of God speaking audibly, loud enough to overcome all those other noises and distractions. So, these people are about to have an experience of a lifetime. It's quite interesting. So last week we looked that the people are getting ready to enter into a covenant with God. And this is a process which is going to happen at Mount Sinai. And last week we looked at verses 5 and 6 which describe the privilege and honor that God bestows upon the children of Israel to be a special treasure to me above all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we also looked at the New Testament where independently, he hasn't removed those blessings from Israel, but he's also given those to us. We also are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a special treasure. So today I'd like to actually read chapter 19 starting at verse 7 just to get the picture here. I think if you just go bit by bit we'll miss it. So we'll go read the whole thing right up to verse 25 and then we'll talk about it. So verse 7, chapter 19. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you for ever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches a mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain, and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Can you imagine being there on that day? I'm not sure if I'd want to be there on that day. Moses gives us some additional commentary on this. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. And then we're going to go to chapter 5, verse 23 to 27. And this is Moses reflecting on this event. And it shows the emotions of the people, it shows the fear that was in their hearts. This is the passage. We just read, it tells us what happened, but these passages tell us how the people felt. So, chapter 4, verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened, or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and live? Absolutely not. This is just a first off. This is I don't think it's ever going to happen again either. This is a new thing. And this is the response of the people. So it was, when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? You see how they're feeling? Why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. So that fire, they must have been feeling the heat if they're going to say is going to consume us. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. So the people are saying, we don't really want to be here, we're terrified. Can you just go and speak to God privately and just tell us what he says? And it says, in the New Testament, Moses was shaking in his boots. That's a paraphrase. Moses was also scared. So it would have taken a lot of courage to go up there, climb a shaking mountain with all the thunder and lightning. But Moses could do it because he understood that God was an awesome God, but he was also a God of love. So let's go back to verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So why is God doing this? It tells you here in verse 9. Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So what's God doing? In Psalm 75, we read a verse, exaltation comes from the Lord. What's God doing here? He's exalting Moses. He's establishing Moses' leadership. He's confirming that Moses is the chosen leader. He's giving Moses credibility in the eyes of the people. Now, back in Exodus two fourteen, one one of the Israelites said, who made you a prince and judge over us? And from that day onwards, the challenges to Moses' authority and leadership never stopped. They just kept on complaining and saying basically the same thing, just in different words, over and over again. Even Aaron rebelled against Moses at one stage. So despite God's demonstrations of power and the ten plagues and the Red Sea crossing, showing that Moses is his man, they still didn't accept his authority. So, and as we read before, Psalm 75, 6 and 7, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge, he puts down one and exalts another. Now, application, many people today go to great lengths to exalt themselves, to get the respect of those around them, to try to impress people and get them to look up to them. And the way people do this is by their clothes, their money, the way they talk, maybe the way they walk, their knowledge, their power, their sacrifice, false humility. And the Pharisees are a good example of this, but you know, you'd look at kids at school, they do similar things. They're trying to get people to look up to them. They're trying to be important. But if God puts you in a leadership position in the church or elsewhere, it could be your family, it could be a workplace, it could be anywhere, He will cause people to respect and honour you. And you won't have to do anything. You won't have to work to make it happen. It will just happen naturally. God will establish your leadership in his own time and in his own way and people will follow you and listen to you without you having to work to draw them or keep them. The reason God gave so much authority to Moses is because Moses was the meekest man. He gave all the glory to God. So, Moses didn't take any of the glory for himself, so Moses could be trusted to take on this authority. So if we want to take on the authority, we need to be humble. So God can only use a humble person. So remember, if we're not humble, he can just as easily take the authority away from us. So, false authority is a work of the flesh, and therefore must be maintained by more works of the flesh. It's tiring, frustrating, and ultimately, Like any work of the flesh, any kingdom that we build using our own effort, resources and smarts will only be temporary and will have no lasting fruit. So, you might remember Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Moving on to verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So there's three things we're going to look at on how to hear God's voice or how to be close to the Lord. Okay, There's three general principles we're going to look at. So the first one is, wash your clothes. This is an out picture of an inward thing, right? So what does it mean for us today? If we want to be those who truly and clearly hear the voice of God personally and powerfully, we must wash our clothes as well. Well, Psalm 119 verse 9, you remember that verse? How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the word. Ephesians 5.26, we are washed by the water of the word. and John 15.3, Jesus says, You are clean through the word I have spoken. I like Psalm 24, verses 3-4. to 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. So, Washing our clothes is also the Old Testament equivalent of 1 John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's him who cleanses us. We confess and repent. And 2 Corinthians seven one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Galatians, Ephesians, I won't read the verses there, but Put off the old so you can put on the new. Who puts dirty clothes on top of clean clothes? No one does that, right? That's a bit silly, yeah? There's no point. So it's the same thing with our spiritual life. We don't put the clean on the dirty. We have to replace the old with the new. We replace lying with telling the truth. We replace dealing with working and giving. So that's the first principle. Wash your clothes. Uh, The next one is in verse 12 and 13. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. With a man or beast he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds along, they shall come near the mountain. So, not only to wash our clothes, but to watch their step. Stay away from the mountain. Stay away. Now, just an analogy here. It sounds cruel. It sounds mean that God is saying, stay away. But you think about it. If you're wrestling with your kids, you imagine you've got two-year-old or something. Would you use your full strength when you're wrestling? <laughs> you kill them. You're wrestling with your kid. No, you restrain yourself because you know that you're so much stronger, and so the way you deal with your little ones is so gentle, and you're careful with them not to hurt them. Well, the same is true of God. He's so beautiful, He's so glorious, His majesty and splendor and holiness would completely overwhelm us if He just revealed Himself outright. Also, we would be consumed by His holiness. (laughs) Exodus 33.20 says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So we tend, I think, in this modern age to trivialize God, to downplay God as our like buddy, best buddy, you know, he's my chummy dad. Yes, through the person of Jesus Christ, he's a friend, but he is also a holy God and a righteous judge. Therefore, the fear of the Lord The fear of doing anything that would grieve him should cause us to fall at his feet in humility, realizing he's so much greater than us. Now, there's another important principle here. God is saying, stay away. Well, with the law, those sacrifices could not bring those people to God. All those animal sacrifices, they were useless. It was a symbol, it was a shadow of things to come. So God was teaching the people about their problem, that there's a separation between a holy God and sinful men and women. You think about it. The whole Old Testament structure emphasizes men's sinfulness and God's holiness. There was a fence around the tabernacle. There was a veil before the holy of holies. And only the priests could minister in the tabernacle and only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that was only once a year. So basically, the Old Testament, if you wanted to summarize the Old Testament, is a big sign saying, keep out. Stay away. You've got a problem. You can't come near me. But, in contrast, the New Testament emphasizes the nearness of God. For the Son of God became flesh and came to dwell on the earth, John 1.14, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1.23. So by his death and resurrection, Jesus opened a new and living way into the presence of God. And the New Testament sign or banner reads, let us draw near. So in the law, in the Old Testament, it's a big sign saying, stay away, danger, keep out, no one can see me and live. In the New Testament, it's let us draw near with full assurance. So Hebrews chapter 10, if you'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, this is the explanation that the writer of Hebrews gives for what we're reading in the Old Testament today. So it's Christ's one sacrifice for all. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead... Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why, when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. First Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant. Notice that language there? He cancels the first covenant, that the keep-out covenant, in order to put the second into effect, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all Time, Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's our sanctification. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So because of the introduction of the new covenant, what's our position? And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully Trusting Him, Notice that? Let us go right into the presence of God. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So what's the key verse in there, do you think? And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So just compare that to what Moses is saying to the people. God's going to tell Moses to get down there and remind the people to emphasize to the people don't come near if you come too near you will die here we have boldly we can come we can come right into the presence of god we can go into the holy of holies the veil's been torn apart the ark this is going further into exodus now but the ark represents jesus and the ark was in the holy of Holies. so we now have access to jesus into the holy of holies that's a picture So, it doesn't mean that we should get chummy with God and act like we're his equals, but he is our Father and he does welcome our love. We need to approach him with a a godly fear or reverence. And there's another scripture, it's Hebrews 12, and it's directly referring to the passage we're reading in Exodus. It says, you have not come to a physical mountain. So this is giving like a balance between that. Come boldly, just come. This is giving that balance where how we should respect. It says, Hebrews 12 verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast, and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed, so that only unshakable things will remain. What is the unshakable thing? It's the kingdom. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is our devouring or consuming fire. So, it balances draw near by the blood of Christ with this exaltation. Let us be thankful and please God, by worshipping, how? With holy fear and awe. So we need to remember God's majesty when we come to him. We have access to the throne room of God. We have access to the Holy of Holies. But just remember who God is when we go. So, Don't not go, but just make sure you've got the right attitude. Don't just go there and treat God like a Father Christmas as some Christians do. I want this and I want that. And you forget that God is the king, the creator of the universe. So there's a comparison here. There's the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. So Mount Sinai speaks of the Old Covenant. Mount Zion speaks of the New Covenant the heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. So, Sinai speaks of fear and terror, but Zion speaks of love and forgiveness. Sinai is in a dry desert, but Zion is in the city of the living God. Sinai, with all its fear and power, is earthly, but the Mount Zion we come to is heavenly and spiritual. At Sinai, only Moses could come and meet God. At Zion, there is an innumerable company and general assembly. Sinai had guilty men in fear, but Zion has just men made perfect. At Sinai, Moses is the mediator, but at Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Sinai put forth an old covenant ratified by the blood of animals. Zion has a new covenant ratified by the blood of God's precious Son. Sinai was all about barriers and exclusion. Zion is all about invitation. Sinai is all about law. Zion is all about grace. So it's just a really good little summary I found that shows the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Verse 14 in Exodus 19. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So we've dealt with the first two. Wash your clothes and watch your step. Have the right attitude to come to the Lord. But now there's another thing he says, and do not come near your wives. It's interesting because in First Corinthians seven five, Paul says don't deprive your spouse unless there is mutual consent for the purpose of prayer and fasting. So I think God is giving us a principle here that there's sometimes where we need to separate ourselves and not be distracted by things so we can seek his will. There comes a time when a mature believer says, I need to put away for a season, a short time, any fleshly incarnations which normally preoccupy me in order that i might get a specific word from the lord there have been times in my life when i've had to um make some really difficult decisions which were really important decisions and i've had to stop i've had to take some time out and been up to 3 or 4 days of fasting and replacing that time with the Word of God, and with prayer. And if you're married, do it in conjunction with your wife, because you need to be in agreement. She needs to hear as well. Fasting, abstinence, and prayer often helps when seeking the will of God. But overall, the principle is that we can get preoccupied with the things of the world and miss God's will, and miss God's still, small voice. Now, there's many things today that we can fast from, it's not just food. There's no point in fasting from food, but then spending all that time on Facebook or something. it kind of defeating the purpose. So what you want to do is you can choose something to fast from. The principle is twofold. Avoid distractions and deny your flesh. Because when you deny your flesh, you're strengthening your spirit. We replace any of those activities, it could be TV watching, anything like that, with extra and focused prayer. Study the word, a meditation on the truths that God shows us from the Bible. We're taking the time to be still and listen. So verse 16, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. So, just a bit about the trumpet. We're going to hear a trumpet one day, God willing, if we're still alive, and we'll go whoosh, up into the air, and we'll be raptured. We won't be like Moses going to the top of Mount Sinai, but we'll go to the top of the clouds where we'll meet Jesus in the earth. You'll find that in First Thessalonians 4.16. Verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. If you've seen pictures of it, there's a large flat area at the base of Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is now Saudi Arabia. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, verse 18, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And we've been through the rest. So to summarize, we shouldn't come to the heavenly Mount Zion, like the New Covenant, when we approach God, we put away our hesitation and we get bold in coming to God. But we can learn stuff from today. We need to receive God's word. We need to be set apart. We need to be cleansed. And we need to respect God's boundaries. And we must restrain our flesh. And we must understand we come to a holy God. Now, the whole idea that Mount Zion was exclusion Exodus 19 describes the awe and fear the Israelites must have felt at Mount Sinai. I want to ask you a question about that. Did that inspire them to live a holy life? Is that enough to make someone live a holy life? What happened like 40 days later? Do you remember? Moses went up the mountain. okay, And after 40 days, even with... All that fear and awe, they made a golden calf and they had an orgy around this golden calf. So a fear and awe is not enough to stop people from sinning. It's not enough. So what's missing? What do we need? Well, we need our submission of our will to God. We need to submit our will to God. I just wanted to say that because you know, you might be thinking, oh, they just need to fear the Lord more. No, they need to submit more. You need a healthy respect for who God is. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, the Holy Judge, all those things. It's true. But we need to submit. That's most important. So, what I'd like to do now is have communion and we'll just pass the emblems around. And then I've got a song. It's a really beautiful song. It's going to help us to just meditate on the new covenant and the fact that we can just come as we are because we're forgiven without any fear.